Welcome to Conservation Conversations, the podcast where we discuss emerging technologies, global trends, and the future of biodiversity conservation with some of the world's leading experts. I'm your host, Sean O'Brien, President and CEO of NatureServe, where we've been working for 50 years to protect endangered species and ecosystems. With this podcast, we want to introduce our audience to some of today's key players in conservation and share the amazing work being done around the globe to protect our planet's rich biodiversity. All right, welcome to this month's Conservation Conversation with me, Sean O'Brien. I'm here today with Carrie Brown Lima, who's the director of the New York Invasive Species Research Institute. Uh, the Institute works to integrate invasive species science and management to establish clear conservation objectives related to invasive species, which we're gonna find out very soon why that's so important. Um, and they work to improve effective invasive species control efforts. Kerry has been working for nearly 25 years in uh, natural resource conservation and management across ecosystems and across borders, meaning that she's worked on these issues outside of the United States. Uh, and in fact, prior to her position with the Research Institute, Kerry spent over a decade promoting conservation strategies and partnerships in Brazil and throughout Latin America, which I think is really exciting. Uh, and Kerry's on a number of boards at the state level and at the national level, including the North American Invasive Species Management Association Board of Directors. So, Kerry, welcome to Conservation Conversations. Hi, Sean. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's, of course, my pleasure to have you here. Um, so, of course, the most obvious first question, um, what's an invasive species and why should we care about them? It's fairly open-ended there for you. Great. Well, that's a good that's a good way to kick it off. So, um, an invasive species uh, is a species that comes from another place that was brought and introduced into a new location, usually by human uh, causes. And while it, once it becomes established, it causes some sort of harm, whether it's ecological, uh, economic, or human health. So it's non-native and does bad things. So that's interesting. So the does bad things part is what's interesting there because you also talk, or we also talk about naturalized species. So what's sort of the difference and what's an example of that? Yeah, so we, uh, we have naturalized species everywhere and we use a lot of those um, for, for our own purposes. And for actually, I left one part of the definition off of the invasive species that it has to do more harm than good to be considered an invasive species. So a lot of our naturalized species, um, I know you've mentioned honeybees in the past or um, you know, rice that we're growing. These are species that come from other places that we've planted um, or cultivated or even just released into the environment, but they don't cause any harm that's greater than the good they cause. So we get food from a lot of our naturalized species. Uh, we get, uh, you know, enjoyment out of them. And they're not usually becoming those big bullies of the environment where they're taking over. Um, so that's where we draw the line between what's just naturalized and non-native and what is an invasive species. So on the invasive front, right? So we talked about honeybees is a great example of a naturalized species that definitely does more good than bad. Um, but what's an example or a couple examples of invasive species that people might be aware of or um, I mean, some are in the south where I am, right? Kudzu is a pretty obvious one. Um, but are there others that are sort of really a, a big problem? 
Yeah, so uh, here in New York, some of our worst invasive species, the ones that we can really see a large uh, impact on our economy and on our environment are invasive forest pests. I'm sure many people have heard of the emerald ash borer um, that was introduced from Asia. Um, it pretty much wipes out ash trees, which are a big part of our forests here and, and across um, the Midwest as well. And so basically, thanks to the emerald ash borer, we are on the route to losing all of our, our native ash species. And so that's going to have an impact not only on our forest composition, on our yards where we have trees that are, have been planted there for decades, and also on the economy as uh, ash is an important wood that we depend on. It's incredible to think that that could happen with ash trees. And this is not the first time that we've completely changed the composition of our forest because of an invasive species. I'm thinking of the uh, chestnut blight. Exactly. Chestnuts, uh, it's hard to believe because we don't really see them. They're pretty much ecologically ex extinct right now. We would only find an individual here or there, a small one. Um, but that actually at one point was part of our culture and that was part of our forest uh, composition. And now it's gone. Yeah, it's, just, it's really quite astounding. Um, so I'm curious, like, what got you interested in working on invasive species? Was there some uh, event or person or... Um, some uh, ecosystem that was affected that you loved? What, what was the inspiration? So really my career goals have been uh, always to work with conservation, to protect biodiversity, to protect beautiful places and to protect those species that are rare and are interesting or just you know the overall biodiversity, not just the rare and interesting ones, but the ones that make up a part of all these beautiful places that we love. Um, and when you look at some of the top threats to biodiversity, uh, invasive species is threat number two after habitat destruction. And so it's really important for us, you know, for those of us who care about conservation of the environment to care about invasive species. And that's not even including the human health and the economic impacts that come along with uh, their introduction. So I wanna, I wanna go back to that and emphasize that point. Um, in terms of threats to you're set to ecosystems and species. The the number two threat is invasive species. So how 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 does that measure it and how does that how does that work? Well, I don't know exactly how uh, how it all gets calculated. <laughs> uh, I'm pulling that from the textbooks, but yeah, it's a, you know now we have climate change too, so that's really changing um, our habitats and our ecosystems and changing the composition of the species that can survive in certain places. And so, you know, I'm not sure how that weighs in in the ranks, but uh, but invasive species yeah. is definitely up there. It definitely is. And it's one of the things when you think about threats to habitats and you think, OK, right. Obvious things like clearing the land or huge development projects seems like an obvious one. Um, and now with the climate emergency, you know, the changes in climate making a big difference. Um, and but invasive species being right up there in the top uh, is really important, and it goes back, like you're saying, with the emerald ash borer and the chestnut blight and woolly adelgids and all of these things that are radically changing the habitats that other species depend on. Right. So if all of the ash trees in the forest died, that's going to affect other animals, um, other invertebrates. Um, potentially other plants that depend on certain habitats that the ash trees may um, make the forest be more like. And so it, 
it really is important and i don't think it's um i don't think invasive species get the um the respect that they deserve in terms of their negative impact yeah for sure for sure well i think there's always new um new issues coming up i know climate change is a big one um that we all need to act on you know immediately and so it's hard to keep all of these uh all of these bad issues on the you know on the front of our our to-do list but so um, when it comes to controlling invasive species, since we know now that we need to do that, um, obviously there's so many different kinds, right? There's um, plants and insects and other fungus and various things that could be invasive. Um, so control methods are gonna be pretty variable, um, but what are some examples of control methods that have been successful in the past with some invasives that were a problem? Yeah. So. You know, invasive species, we always, well, starting as we're thinking about controlling them, we really want to try to control them um, when their populations are small. Uh, because once they become spread across the landscape, that is uh, such a big problem and such an expensive problem that it's really hard to, to get rid of them altogether. Um, so, you know, our strategies, actually, our first strategy would be to keep them out to begin with. And there's a lot of policies in place that try to keep us from bringing species in that could potentially become invasive or from moving them around to be introduced into new places. Um, you know, then the second best option is to get rid of them while they're small populations, but clearly that's not always easy to find. And so we often don't discover them until they're more widespread and having an impact. And then once they're spread across, you know, the, the landscape, um, you know, we can, use chemicals, say, for example, to get rid of plants. We can use manual removal methods to, um, you know, pull things out that we don't want or whether remove uh, fish or from a lake. However, one, that, that gets a little tricky because how can you get them all? And if they're great reproducers, that's one of the things about invasive species that make them invasive is that when they become established in their new environment, they can their populations grow out of control and they don't have a lot to keep their populations down. So one of the methods that we can use on a wider spread scale is called biological control. And that's where we introduce a native, uh, a predator that's from the, the species native range. So when I'm saying predator, I'm thinking of like a herbivore uh, insect that would eat a plant. Um, we can actually be successful at long-term suppression of a population because that's why these species a lot of these species that are invasive in their introduced environments some of them are even rare in their native range and so it's really the lack of um, having these native enemies these natural enemies that that allow their populations to grow out of control and of course um, I know that can raise red flags for some people because they thought oh wow we're introducing another invasive species and I think maybe in the past people weren't as uh, careful about what they do, but there's so many um, regulations and procedures in place, and it's actually like over a decade of testing um, for some of these species to before they can be introduced as a biological control uh, agent into the United States or into most countries. So, you know, there's gone are the days of introducing like a, a generalist predator that's going to eat all the bird eggs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or, but now we're really thinking about things that are very host specific that only will feed on that one plant and won't 
um, be able to survive on anything else. So that's one of our, I would say, longer term solutions. Obviously, we've got uh, more technology coming out now um, where people are starting to think of uh, genetic um, engineering as, as a way to stop species from spreading at such a rate and reduce their population growth. There's the genetic engineering of invasive species um, and some sort of gene drive to whatever make them infertile or something um, is really exciting, but also, you know, it, it it's scary to the general public, but it's a very, very exciting possibility. Uh, the other thing that I think is exciting about what you were talking about is these biological controls that are highly researched and really carefully done allow us to not have to introduce more pesticides or herbicides into the environment to try and control these species, which sounds much better in the long run. Yeah, when these programs are successful, they are, they are, they, some of the species that actually used to be huge problems are now like not even talked about anymore because they, they don't go away completely, but their populations are more, they act more like maybe a naturalized species that we spoke of, a species that's not native, but it's not, you know, taking over and uh, kicking out all the native species either. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, so, um, one of the one of the tools that uh, some places use when they're dealing with invasive species is actually a tool that NatureServe uh, worked on with the New York Natural Heritage Program and other organizations, and that's called IMAP Invasives, which allows people to gather data on invasive species in the field. Um, and that sort of got me thinking about citizen science and crowdsourcing of information on invasive species. That that is a new frontier in invasive species control, isn't it? Yeah, so I mean, well, in order to make these decisions about what are we going to control, where are we going to control, we need to know where things are first. And, you know, these things are growing and they're expanding across the landscape and they're being introduced, they're being moved around by people and cropping up in new places. And so we've really um, depend on IMAP invasives here in New York State, that's our state database um, for invasive species to start figuring out these species distributions and it helps us to make better decisions. So we can think about where we're gonna invest our limited resources or what we'll be able to send out alerts when a new species comes in. And so, you know, IMAP invasives and having this data is really important. And also as we're, you know, just trying to figure it all out and weigh our options because there's so many invasive species and there's so many places we wanna protect and we need to make decisions and we need data to make those decisions. Yeah. Um, and you have a program in New York that is specifically designed to get average citizens involved in collecting data on invasive species. Is that right? Where they can like adopt uh, an area or something? Yeah, we do. So here in New York, um, we we have IMAP invasives. We, there's an app on your phone. We do trainings for citizen scientists because a lot of the information we get, some of the the biggest finds for new species being introduced came from citizens. And so, you know, like I was saying, catching these species when they're, when they're new and when their populations are small is key. And so the more eyes we have out there on the ground, you know, looking for things, documenting things, um, the better. So New York City has really invested a lot in training citizen scientists to get out there, to know how to identify some of the species we're looking for, and then record it just even on their iPhone. They're able to, you know, record the geographic location, take a picture um, so it can be verified by an expert. 
And this data is the data that um, we're using to, to help guide our decision making. So thank you to NatureServe for uh, making that happen. Well, we're, we're happy to do it, of course, because uh, we want to do everything we can to help conserve native biodiversity. Um, and I think that's a really exciting program. And it's a really great outlet for people who are interested in nature and maybe they're not uh, interested in birds or they want to participate in some way, which I think is really exciting. So um, thank you for uh, having that cool program. Hopefully other people will adopt a similar um, program. I wanted to ask you, um, as we sort of start wrapping up here about um, do you have any career goals? Like what at the end of your career, if you look back and say, oh, that's that because I was able to make that happen or because I was able to be part of that, I've had a successful career. Do you have a, a something like that out there? One of, so overall, one of the themes that has um, emerged throughout my career so to date has been really this idea of um, coming up with strategies that that can help us to conserve uh, ecosystems and species. And so I've worked in with sustainable fisheries, I've worked with sustainable agriculture, I've worked with protected areas, you know, in Latin America. And, you know, now this work with invasive species, but the idea of coming up with strategies, but what's really key to those strategies is getting people to work together and come around a common cause. And so we all have our role to play. Um, different organizations, instead of working independently, if we can come together, um, our impact is so much greater. And so what one of my career goals and my passions is really how can we get everybody at the table that needs to be there to make these things happen, coming up with the strategies. So if I feel like I could um, look back and say, you know what? I've created these new collaborations or these new strategies that are going to carry on, you know, in the future and positively impact our ecosystems. That would feel like a success to me. That yeah, That's fantastic. And it sounds like you're doing that. I mean, with your work and the things that you've been doing in your career, um, it sounds like you've been actually pretty successful in putting in place some long-term strategies that are going to benefit society for a long time to come and nature. So thank you for that. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add or anything I forgot to ask you about today? Well, usually what people ask me about is what uh, what people can do in their own lives to try to reduce uh, invasive species impacts. And so, um, you know, I know we've got, it's always great to take an opportunity to get the message out, you know, in addition to collecting data and you know, contributing to databases like IMAP Invasive that's hosted by NatureServe. Um, we also really want people to be aware of their role in in spreading species and also in stopping the spread species. And so um, we're really trying to promote things like clean, drain, and dry your boat before you move from one lake to another. One of the top ways invasive aquatic aquatic invasive species are spread is hitching a ride. You know, we are the best. Uh, the best vehicle to, to move these species around. And so, you know, the more we can be aware of that, whether it's picking the dirt out of the bottom of our hiking boots when we move to a new location to go hiking or not moving firewood that could have, you know, invasive forest pests in it, like emerald ash borer, um, far distance from where, where its origins are. So, you know, we can also stop 
moving them around and giving them this helping hand and making them a bigger problem moving forward. And also the other thing, you know, as we're planting our gardens, plant native species. You know, we don't know a lot mm-hmm. of these invasives um, are actually, they seem innocent enough until the climate changes and it becomes nice and warm and they're able to grow out of control and become invasive. A lot of our invasive uh, plants across the landscape actually came in, you know, with the horticultural trade. So, you know, just yeah. a few steps we can do on our own to start slowing the spread of some of these invasives. Um, you know, it's good to have that word out there. I drove past a nursery the other day and the sign in front of it said, all exotics. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> how about the nursery that's just all native species that are going to be amazing and beautiful? Just, you know, just because they're exotic doesn't mean they're more beautiful than our native species. That is definitely true. Yeah. And, you know, there's just, uh, studies out there that are showing that not only um, can we avoid them becoming invasive, but a lot of these native species are key to supporting native insect populations that then support native bird populations. And if you look at some of the introduced species that have no native insects on it, they also aren't great uh, to support the, the food web. And so we can you know, not only you know, avoid further invasive species, but we can actually promote you know, these mini ecosystems in our own yard uh, to support wildlife. So. Well, that's a great way to wrap up. I think encouraging the citizen scientists and encouraging um, activity by the citizen that's actually really quite straightforward. You know, what you plant in your yard, not releasing pets into the wild, things like that. Um, so I think that's excellent. And I think I really appreciate all that you're doing on invasive species because it really is, um, it's not just in the textbooks you've been looking at, it's everywhere that you read lists of the main threats to biodiversity. It's, you know, habitat loss, invasive species, climate change, those kinds of things. So absolutely, um, it's a huge, huge problem for the world. Um, and so we appreciate all that you're doing to help. Thank you. It's great to, uh, as part of my, you know, career goals of working together, you know, it's great to have a partner like NatureServe out there. And I look forward to the, you know, working with uh, all your programs moving forward as well. Great. Thank you, Carrie Brown-Lemer, for your time today and um, look forward to uh, working with you more in the future. Uh, Thank you for joining us on Conservation Conversations today, and we'll uh, look forward to talking to you again next month.